I tried to have some handouts for this morning. I spent $27 on overnight shipping and it didn't get here. So uh, next week I'll give you a little handout you can take home. Uh, Highlights Magazine uh, was the intended handout. You know, when I was a kid in school, I think, we got Highlights Magazine. Do you know the magazine I'm talking about? It's been around forever. It's still published today. Hi, Joe. Welcome. Um, I loved it as a kid, and the thing I liked best was the hidden picture page. Do you know it's kind of an outline drawing page, and it's some innocuous scene. It's a tree, or it's a barnyard, or you know, a house, or a backyard, whatever. But within the drawing, of course, there are these hidden objects. So if you look at the picture sort of close, or, or just if you scan the picture but you don't look closely, all you see is the picture. But if you look closely, you see that there's a toothbrush in the telephone pole or there's a key in the grass or, or whatever. So you've got all these, these objects that are hidden in plain sight. They're right there in front of you, but a quick glance, you won't see them. You've got to stop. You've got to take a little time, a little focus. You've got to look for them. What we want to talk about this morning is a term, a theological term. We won't spend a lot of time um, on the term itself, but a term called common graces or common grace and what I want to focus on this morning are the the elements that we call common graces these graces from God common to all of us in life and they are I think a little bit like those hidden objects in this picture that is they're hidden in plain sight they're there if you take the time or the attention to see them And let me define briefly what I mean by common grace, uh, starting with the last word first. Grace, typically called unmerited favor, um, God's goodness poured out on us in some specific way that doesn't take into account our merit. We, We get a grace, a favor, some goodness, some aspect of God, some favorable disposition God blesses us with. And He does so not because we deserve it. It's His goodness poured out on us, God's grace. The common element of this just means not so much that it's every day as that all of us experience these. That is, if you live on the earth, you can experience God's common grace. So for instance, Matthew 5.45, a good example. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, He, His Father, causes His Son to rise on the evil and the good. He sends His rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. The sun and the rain, Jesus says, God takes no account if the people getting the benefit of that are righteous or unrighteous. If they're alive on the earth, they get the expression of God's goodness through the rain and the sun. So the common graces are those ways in which we experience God's goodness on the earth regardless of our relationship to God in Christ. Let me give you a few examples. And the first one is so obvious uh, that maybe it doesn't need to be stated, but, but I'll state it anyway. And let me give you a couple verses that describe what I'm talking about. Colossians 1, 16 and 17, Paul says, By Him, that is Christ, all things were created in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. 
In Acts 17, when Paul's in Athens and he's proclaiming Christ to Greeks and he's trying to make this tie-in from a, a Jewish world and a Jewish Savior to the Gentile world, he tells them, verse 28, In Him we live and move and exist, or your versions might say we have our being, even as some of your own poets have said. So the first common grace that maybe we need to stop and recognize is simply this, that if you are alive on the earth to experience anything, you've already experienced God's common grace. God created the world. You and I live in His world. And not only that, but this is kind of mind-blowing. Paul says, in Him we live. In Him we live. Uh, Think of yourself like Jonah in the whale. You know, Jonah lives for three days, not in the place we'd like to be, but he lives within the whale. Or think of yourself, uh, um, no negative intended here, but if you're a bacteria living in someone's body, uh, you exist within them. Your life is contained within theirs. Well, Paul says in both of these passages, whether it's by creation you live in God's creation, But because God is omnipresent, He fills all space, every place, etc. You don't just live in His creation, you live within God Himself. In my mind, I see a goldfish bowl, you know, a little goldfish bowl in a big house and the fish are inside it. Well, the world is the goldfish bowl and we're the little goldfish. And we live in God's big house. We exist in Him and in His creation. So if you're alive and you draw breath today, you do so by the grace of God. You live in His world. The fact that you can experience anything, that you exist, that you have thought at all, that is God's grace to you. You live, you exist in His world. The life we take for granted is one of God's common graces. It's what we experience. Uh, Paul's first missionary journey, he was at a city called Lystra. And uh, he's talking to Gentiles again about Christ and trying to make this transition from a Jewish world understanding to a Gentile one to present Christ. And he says this there, he said of God that God did not leave himself without witness in that he did good and he gave you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. This is what he gave them. He did them good. He gave rains, fruitful seasons, food, and gladness. You know, just thinking about the rains, um, if you and I think about the rain, it generally has to do with our vacation plans or softball on the weekend or whatever, but probably outside of that we don't think about. You know, if you're a farmer, you think about the rain uh, because it affects when you plant or if you can get into the fields. It affects the too much rain, too little rain, affects How well your crops grow, it affects when you harvest. If you're a farmer, you don't take the rain for granted. You understand that enough rain and not too much, enough sunshine and not too much, etc., these things are highly critical for your well-being. You know, for most of us, we take for granted that we go to the grocery store and we can buy. I'm floored. You know, we ate grapes yesterday and I'm wondering, I wonder where these grapes grew. Or when I drink a cup of coffee in the morning, those beans came from Colombia. We take for granted that we can go to the grocery store and we can buy fruits and vegetables and meats and poultry and fish, you name it. 
But this is a huge deal. Where did those things grow? And how did they grow? How'd they get there? Not just the process by which humans were involved, but what allows those crops to grow and those foods that we tend to take for granted? All those good things that we go to the store and get, there's a process by which they grow. Well, Paul told those at Lystra, it's God that's behind that. God's the one who left himself a witness. That's one thing. But he did you good. He he poured out on you his grace, and that grace is rain. And it's sunshine, it's food, it's seasons of gladness. These are God's common graces to all of us. The sun, the rain, the food, even the ebb and flow of the seasons, these are gifts from God to all of mankind. Every meal we enjoy, every dessert we savor, the rains that cool the earth, the ebb and the flow of the seasons, these are common graces from God. Paul wrote Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, 17, a verse I love. There he says, uh, To those who are rich in this world, don't be conceited. Don't fix your hope on the uncertainty of riches. Uh, Many people know riches come easily sometimes. They go easily sometimes. So don't fix your hope on the uncertainty of riches, but fix your hope on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Think of this for just a second. You know... Uh, The world, the culture that we live in generally, if you talk about uh, God, at some level there's always this assumption or this thought of God that he's this cosmic killjoy who wants to keep people or prevent people from having a good time. And, And this is just laughable. I mean, just think for a second. Who gave you taste buds to enjoy the food? Do you know what I mean? You could eat nutritious food and it would keep your body alive. And if it had no taste, it would still work. So why did God give us taste buds and why did he make peaches sweet and apples tart? You know, he didn't have to do that. He did that so we could enjoy things. Or in our sex-saturated culture, who, who designed humans for sex? This isn't our dirty little joke that we're turning our back on God with. God designed that. God designed sex to be pleasurable as well as procreational. So Paul says, God richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. So if you're alive on the earth today, one of God's common graces is the fact that he's filled this earth with all these things that you and I get to simply enjoy. God designed life on this earth to give us joy, enjoyment. This is, he's not out to squash pleasure or joy. He designed us for these things. So when we think that this is our dirty little secret that we use these things, we abuse things. We use them in ways God doesn't mean us to. But God created those things and he created us in a complementary fashion because he wanted us to enjoy these things. God graces us every day by the fact that we can enjoy the taste of food or the feel of rain or the feel of air conditioning this morning or all these other things you think of, God richly pours things out on us so that we can enjoy them. Uh, Having said that, you know, we all have a sinful nature and it's always sinful. And even if you're a Christian, you have a new nature, but you still have an old nature. You will have as long as you're in this body. And I think, this isn't certainly the end all, but I think to myself, if we as Christians 
more fully enjoyed the things that God means for us to in the way that He means for us to, we might find it a little easier to resist the temptations for the pleasures God didn't mean us to. A guy named Dale Alquist wrote a book on G.K. Chesterton, and in context of some of Chesterton's thoughts, he said this, If we neglect the basic pleasures, the reasonable happiness that is already available to us, what I would say this morning, God's common graces, we will chase after an unreasonable sort of happiness, the impossible or the forbidden or that which we never can have or never should have. So there are pleasures. We abuse things certain times. But God has filled the world with all these good things simply because He wanted to give us joy and pleasure. We don't serve a little mean-spirited God. We serve a generous, bountiful God who gives us things to enjoy. Solomon, the, man, the earth's wisest man, said this in Ecclesiastes 5.19. By the way, Ecclesiastes is an interesting book. On one hand, Solomon describes the futility of life lived on the earth, that, that it's like chasing or grasping the wind. There's this futile element of life on the earth, and that's because sin has come in and has changed God's original design. But even within this life of futility, Solomon says there's all these good things that we can appreciate. And one of the things he says in 5.19 is this, Furthermore, as for every man to whom God has given riches and wealth, He has also empowered him to eat from them and to receive his reward and rejoice in his labor. This is the gift of God. Work, labor, is a common grace from God to us. You know, in the Garden of Eden, um, Adam and Eve worked. It wasn't drudgery, but they were gardeners. They had a job to take care to oversee the growth and the, the care, the keeping of the garden. But there was no drudgery. Now, in this sin-cursed world, work oftentimes for us does involve drudgery, but it's not just that. Solomon says that we get to labor and then enjoy or rejoice in the fruits of those labors. So being able to work is a good thing. And then being able to enjoy the fruits of those labors, that's a good thing. You know, a downside, uh, one of the cares you have to be careful of with a welfare uh, system, is that you often end up robbing people of one of the graces God intends them to have. And that is the ability to work at something, to labor at something, and then to enjoy the fruit of it. If a person is simply given things all their life, they don't get to experience this grace of God. I've labored at something. I've produced something. I don't know if you've ever had this experience, but we've got retaining walls at our house, and, and they took a lot of labor, back-breaking labor over two or three years' times. But you know what? When I walk down my stairs today or I stand at my rail and I look out, I always have this sense of satisfaction. There was a whole lot of work involved in that, and yet I look back and I savor that because I did that. Well, God means us to have this sense of, of accomplishment, work in that sense. It's a good thing. And then we turn around, it's productive in and of itself, but then we turn around and we get to enjoy the fact that we were part of that labor and that it produced something that was good. That is one of God's graces to us, the ability to work and produce things. All the good things we enjoy in this life are God's graces to us. So even your existence, your ability to draw breath on this earth, uh, 
the rains and the seasons you and I experience, the, all the enjoyable things we experience. We could go on and on. You could make up your own list. Let me just mention a few more before we move on. Sunrises, the beauty of the sky that all of us get to see each night, the great variety of animal and plant life we live with, family life. Um, this one will, will kill you sometimes, but it's supposed to be a grace. Uh, families, the, the encouragement we get of growing up in families, friendships, uh, something we don't necessarily often think of as a, as a grace of God, governments. Uh, governments are considered a common grace because governments suppress our natural evil intentions towards one another and through that constraining force allow us to live with each other in a way that's more healthy and productive. Governments are a common grace from God. So you, you, you get the picture. God is showing us and He's showering on us every day in a myriad of ways these common graces, these unmerited aspects of God's goodness that all of us get to experience as our common heritage. Now, <clears throat> if these graces are so common, that is not only we all experience them, but they're so prevalent, they're around us every day, why is it that we don't recognize them routinely? When was the last time you thought about God's common graces, those, those ways that you experience His goodness? And maybe, maybe you did, maybe we did this morning or earlier, but I think oftentimes we don't. And I ask myself the question, why is that? Why is that? And my short version is this, I think we're just frankly way, way too busy. Um, there's a few things that are my hobby horses, reading your Bible every day is one of them, and this is another. I'm absolutely convinced that we in the West have substituted a lifestyle of busyness for godliness, for contemplation, for holiness, and we've confused them. So we, we kind of mistakenly think, if I keep myself busy, that represents success and significance. And sometimes the thinking goes like this, I'm busier than you, and that means that I'm more significant than you. See, I'm so vital to other people. And I have so much going on in my life, that's why I'm so busy. And I'm thinking, or, or not. I'm thinking most of us are foolish in this area to the nth degree, biblically. That is, we don't recognize God's common grace to us because we're too busy to. So if life is the hidden object puzzle, we look at the page quickly and flip it and we keep going. We don't take enough time to look at our life and count the ways in which God has blessed us on any given day, much less on any routine basis. We are simply too busy. We confuse chaos with significance and we have come to mistake activity for success. They are not the same thing. You know, I'm convinced that this is one of the tactics of the enemy of your soul and mine is just to keep us busy. Because if I'm just busy... I don't know what God's doing. I'm not praying. I'm not reading my Bible. I'm just consumed. My life is just dissipated. You know, in Ephesians, when it says, uh, don't be drunk with wine where there's dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. This, the Greek word for dissipation is the thought that your life is just poured out and wasted. It's not just, it doesn't mean inebriated. It means wasted. Well, I think we're wasting our lives. We're busy. And we think that's success, but it's not. We, we can be busy in a million directions and God may have one thing for us to do 
And we never get around to it because we're consumed with the other things that keep us busy and that makes us feel good. I think it's just another tactic of the enemy to make us fruitless and like the rest of the world. And you know, whatever statistics you look at, the way most of us as Christians live is indistinguishable from the larger culture around us. And this is one of the ways in which we're indistinguishable. Busyness is not godliness. Busyness is not holiness. Busyness does not represent significance or success in God's eyes. But that's what we're doing. Oftentimes, I think, most of us. You know, there were news articles this summer. I don't know if you have taken your vacations or not yet, but that a lot of families were staying home from what they would otherwise take a long vacation because of the cost of fuel. Well, I'm thinking this may not be a bad thing. You know, if your family stayed home together this summer, would that really be so bad? If you hung out with each other and played some games or read some books or thought about things or read your journal entries from earlier days, would that really be so bad? You know, if you spent a little bit time with each other more slowly at home, you might start thinking about the ways God has blessed you in this life. A little bit of time at home might not be such a bad thing. So just like seeing those hidden objects, if you don't slow down, I'm convinced, you won't be aware of the ways, all the ways, the myriad of ways, God is pouring out His graces on you every day. If you slow down, if you slow down, and you observe those things, you take the time to recognize the ways God has blessed you, don't stop there, but move on to the next appropriate thing to do. If I recognize God's goodness and grace to me, it would be appropriate that I thank Him for those things, wouldn't it? Don't stop at recognition, which is a good thing, but move on to thankfulness. Uh, G.K. Chesterton said this, thanks are the highest form of thought. Gratitude is happiness doubled by wonder. uh, Gratitude is happiness doubled by wonder. This requires, though, again, time and thoughtfulness. Give thanks to God. Slow down. Give thanks to God for the myriad ways He shines down His grace on you like the sun. He pours out on His grace on us like the rain. And He gives us these seasons, these these ebb and flow, the seasons of life and fills our hearts with gladness and good things. Those are God's common graces to us on the earth. Let me close with this. We live right in the middle of town, just above Shunga Creek, and uh, we love where we live. Uh, We've lived there several years now. You know, the Shunga Creek is a dirty, muddy, uh, Kansas kind of a creek. Uh, If you see it after a really, really heavy rain and it's up high and flowing, it's impressive then, but you know, most of the time it's... uh, kind of brown water, moving kind of slow, you know, unimpressive, doesn't look like the streams I love in Colorado at all. You know, again, if you, if you walk along it, depending on the time and the season, sometimes it's just filled with trash. You'll see trash, the wind is blown in, or if there's heavy runoff from the rain, it brings, you know, it's the lowest point, so it's the collection point. You'll see it trash strewn. Sometimes in the summer it is so low, low literally, you have to look at it for a little while just to make sure it's still flowing. You know, and it is. It flows you around, but sometimes so slowly you wouldn't know if it if you didn't stop long enough to look and see. But 
having said all that, it's water. And because it's water, it's life. And along the Shunga Creek, if you're a jogger or a bicyclist, you probably know this, there's the Shunga Trail. It goes along it through, actually through most of Topeka. Or also Washburn uh, Avenue goes right over Shunga Creek, right down the, the street from our house. So you've got these roadways of life, these trails along the stream, bridge right over the top of it. And I've wondered, you know, if I look out my window uh, some mornings or some evenings, if I have the time to do so, uh, I might see one fox or two foxes or three or four coming up and down 26th Street. It's a little highway for them. Uh, if I take time to look out my window. Sometimes they go to the Cowell's backyard because Curtis feeds them. But they're there because the stream is there. There's all this life that's there because the water is there. And I've wondered, I've taken many walks along the creek on the trail there, and I've wondered... Do the people driving over the bridge at Washburn know that a short-eared owl literally is perched in the limbs 10 feet off the bridge eating a squirrel? See, they're going 30, 40 miles an hour, but I'm walking slow, and there's an owl. There's wildlife right there, and everybody else, they're zooming by. They don't know that the owl is there. They're going too fast to see it. Or I've wondered, too, on other mornings, if the joggers and the skateboarders at the skateboard park where they're having an event this morning, the creek bends right there. I'm walking by on another morning, and there's a family of wood ducks. And if you know what wood ducks look like, they're these gorgeous little birds, this, this incredible, the male, of course, more than the female, really handsome, with these great <laughs> colors on his head. And there's this young family of wood ducks right in the creek, right below the skateboard park where the joggers are going by. But I wonder, do they know life's going on right under their nose there? And I've wondered on another walk if the people on the soccer fields know there's a belted kingfisher sitting right above the limb. And if you've ever, right above the stream, if you've ever heard these, they have a a particularly raucous cry you can recognize from a long, long way off. He's right away from the soccer fields looking down for his dinner, no doubt saying his grace for God's common grace for the meal he's got down there in the stream below. And I've wondered too, on one bend, you look across to the houses on the far side and the backyards are just strewn with rubbish, just, just trash-filled. Do they know that, that Canadian geese are sailing like royalty right down the stream, right behind their house, right through the trash, as it were? Life is still going on, but if you're not going slow enough, you simply do not see it, but it's there. It's filled with life and beauty. The Shunga Creek, the muddy brown Shunga Creek, It's filled with life and beauty among the brown water and the trash. But if you take a stroll, if you slow down, if you stop to look, even for a little bit, you'll see life. I have a brother that lives on the coast in California. He was here earlier this year. And uh, I was going to take a walk, you know, my little stroll. And I thought Pete wanted to do his own thing. But I said, hey, are you interested in, in a walk? Well, sure, I'd love to. So we took our binoculars and we walked along and... And Pete's on the coast in the mountains in California. He's blown away at all the birds we see, the goldfinches and the yellow finches, and we saw the foxes in the Cowell backyard and all the stuff that he doesn't see where he lives. And it's right there in our backyard. It's right there if you take time to see it. You've got to take time. You've got to slow down. By the way, when I say this, you all know we work. 
work's part of life. We do work. And sometimes life is busier than we'd like it to be. So I'm not saying we don't work. I'm not saying there aren't things that demand that require our attention, our times, our energies. But be careful about what you choose to invest your life in. Be prudent. Slow down enough so that you can live thoughtfully in a way that honors God by recognizing what He's doing in your life, at least, the very least of which would be these common graces. God's at work in our life in much more ways than these, but these would simply be the most common, the minimum things we could be aware of and give God thanks for. At the end of the day, these common graces reflect the uncommon grace of God and His intention to bless us, to pour out His love and honor and glory on us. Let's pray. Lord, we do you wrong and we wrong our own souls when we see you as small-minded, the way the world loves to portray you. Lord, you are gracious and glorious and benevolent beyond our ability to understand. Father, help us to live lives that are contemplative enough to see and to recognize your goodness and grace. Lord, help us to be productive in the ways you mean us to be, but not so busy that we fail to see the things that really matter. Lord, help us not to trade your best for something of lesser value. Lord, thanks that your greatest act of mercy, your greatest grace, the greatest goodness you could ever show was displayed in the gift of your Son in his incarnation, crucifixion, and resurrection on our behalf. Lord, um, we thank you this morning, but we look forward to the day that we can thank you face to face, not only for the trinkets, the common graces you've given us today, but for eternal life in your presence to come. In Jesus' name, amen.